the study of your word. And Lord, I do pray that um, you would um, just, uh, just open our hearts and our ears to hear from you. And Lord, um, just I pray that you would just um, help us to receive. Uh, we know that we're not under the law, but Lord, we know that there is principles and truths here that we can apply to our lives today. And Lord, to have the right attitude and mindset when it comes to our giving, when it comes to what we take in, when it comes to our worship. And so, Lord, we want to be attentive tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, we do read, You are the children of the Lord your God, and you shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so, as here is Moses He has given his final address to the children of Israel. They have been in the wilderness for 40 years. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. They're poised to go into the promised land. But there needs to be a spiritual preparation for them. And it's coming as Moses is giving them the official reading of the law. See, they received the law, and as God made a covenant with them there at Mount Sinai, and we saw in the earlier chapters that Moses reviewed that with them. Hey, your fathers came to the mountain, and God would demonstrate himself, show himself in a very powerful way with the mountain shaken and the mountain on fire and smoke like a furnace and thunders and lightnings and the voice of God they would hear, and they would tremble at that. And we see that God would make a covenant with them and give them the law. But they would be that generation because of their disobedience and unbelief and hardness of heart. The Lord said, you're going to die out here in the wilderness. So this new generation uh, is poised now to go into the promised land. So they need to hear the official reading of the law. That law wasn't just given to their fathers. It was given to all their generations as they would go into the land. So we see that Moses is dressing them to give them to law, to to remind them of God's covenant with them, that they are a special people, that they're a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's what they're being reminded of. But also, we know that they've never really have been a nation before. Um, That is, they, they are a nation, but they have been in bondage in Egypt. Then they've been in the wilderness now 40 years. So they've never had that land to where they were a nation of a lot of people that as they go in, we're going to see that the tribes are going to have their allotments and they're going to be spread out. And so he's given them instructions. This is how you are to run your nation. This is how you are to conduct yourselves. There's going to be a prescribed place of worship. It's no longer going to be just a tabernacle in the middle of the camp. And the children of Israel camped all around them. But it's going to be a prescribed place, which would later eventually be Jerusalem, as it would be Solomon that would build the first temple. It would be destroyed after 500 years, and then the second temple built. And then after 500 years of the second temple standing, it would be destroyed. But that was the central place of worship. So the Lord is telling them how it is that they were to bring their offerings and how they were to bring their sacrifices and um, that they were to come to this prescribed place. So all these instructions are given to them because God is preparing them as a nation to come in. 
And the third thing that we see, not only was he reminding them of the covenant and giving them the law, but also we know instructions when they would go into the promised land and take it. But thirdly, we know that he's warning them, do not get involved with the Canaanite gods because they're going to be a sword to your side. They're going to be um, a problem to you. And, and don't get involved with the false worship, their, their false beliefs. You tear down the, the pagan places that they've set up for worship. Tear down the high places, the sacred pillars, just get rid of it. Do not be drawn away. And as we saw in chapter 13 last week, it was the Lord that said that if there's one that comes on the scene that has a vision or is a dreamer or gives a word, and he has that, that he gives to the children of Israel, and it's accompanied with miracles, don't just look at the miracles. But you need to see the message and hear the message that's being said. And if it is enticing you to go after other gods, you are to reject that individual. So we talked about how it's important that in our day, because it was Jesus that said that in the last days, and I really believe that we are in the last days, and I believe that, that we are seeing what Jesus said, that there will be more and more false teachers and prophets that will rise up on the scene. And there will be even those, we know in the very last of days, one who will come on the scene called the Antichrist, who will work miracles and signs and wonders, calling down fire from heaven. He will deceive the whole world. And so we don't just look at the miracles. we got to, to listen to the message that's being said because the Antichrist is going to speak blasphemies against God. And we know that here he's warning them, listen, make sure that you're not being pulled away from what the Lord your God has told you and worshiping him and the law that he's given to you. Even if there's miracles involved, because Satan can work miracles, can't he? I mean, we've seen that with Pharaoh being able to do certain tricks and turning the magician's staffs into snakes and calling up frogs from the land and turning water into blood. Now, Satan is not the opposite equal of God, but we do know that he has powers, and we know that the Antichrist in the last days is going to be under the direct influence of Satan. And that's why I reiterate to you guys, I think it's wonderful that you're here going through the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God in the day in which we're living. Because as you know the real deal, then you're not going to be deceived with that which is false. And remember this, that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. And that's what Paul would write in 2 Corinthians. He can transform himself into an angel of light. He is a master deceiver. So the things that we see taking place, we need to filter it through the word of God. So as we read these first two verses here, he's saying don't be like the Canaanites. Don't go after their gods, tear down their sacred pillars. Don't be involved in their pagan rituals. And apparently, when they would mourn for somebody who had um, died, that they would cut themselves and they would shave their heads in a certain way. And the Lord says, listen, you're a holy people. You're a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so we as Christians, we do grieve. We mourn when somebody that we love has died. But we can have that joy. We can celebrate when they're in Jesus Christ, because we know they go home to be with Jesus. It would be Paul that would say, concerning a Christian, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He would say, as we saw in Philippians chapter 1, as he was pressed between two points, whether he wanted to stay and be with the Christians, which would be better for them, or go home and be with the Lord, which you know would be better for him personally. In the, and so he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And only the Christian can say that. Only the Christian can say, for me to live is Christ, 
And to die is gain. Because we get to go home and be with the Lord. And in Psalm 116, verse 15, it tells us it's precious. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And the reason that is as precious is because we get to go home. And the Lord longs for us to, to go home. One of the things that's amazing in Ephesians chapter 1, as Paul's praying for the saints there, he prays that you may know of, the, of his inheritance that are in the saints. That is, the Lord sees us as his inheritance. He speaks of the heavenly blessings that we have in Ephesians chapter 1 that we have an inheritance in Christ, that the riches of Christ are ours. And that's amazing. And I pray that you and I would never trade in the riches of Christ for the riches of the world. Because the riches of the world are going to go away. The riches of Christ are for all eternity. And and they're ours who are in Christ. But then he says that we are his inheritance. And I think, really, me? Me, Lord? that I'm that special to you? Well, here he says that you guys are a treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And I believe that's the reference that Jesus was making to us in Matthew chapter 13, the parable that he would talk about, that the man who found a treasure in the field and he gave all that he had to buy the field, so what, that he could take the treasure out. And I've heard that taught that, you know, that um, Jesus is the treasure and we've given up all, you know, to, to have Jesus. I don't believe that's the proper interpretation. I believe that we can see consistently that God would say that you guys are a treasure unto me. And it was Jesus, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, just a couple of weeks ago, that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but came in the appearance of a man in the form of a bondservant. He would give up the glory of deity. He's the one that gave up deity. I don't know what it means to live in a perfect place that you can't even comprehend that Jesus did. The glory of deity. He did not give up his deity, but the glory of heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father with the Father from the very beginning. And he found in the appearance of a man of a bondservant and was obedient to the death on the cross. He's the one that gave up everything. He would say that foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he would redeem the world, the field to himself. So why? So he can have the treasure, you and me. You see, we're the treasure. And that's what he says here, that you're a treasure above all the peoples. So you're valuable to the Lord, so we can rejoice in that. And of course we grieve and we mourn. And God gave us the ability to grieve when, when we do have a loved one that, that we lose in this life, but we have a living hope, don't we? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And underneath it all, that we can have that joy unspeakable, knowing that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, that with the Christian, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then in verse 3, we're going to review here, in verse 3, the dietary laws that we saw <coughs> in the book of Leviticus. You shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe, deer, and the wild goat, and the mountain goat, and the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts, and that chews the cut among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cut or have cloven hooves, 
You shall not eat such as these, the camel, the hare, and the rock hyrac, and they chew the cud, but do not have cloven hooves, and they are unclean for you. In verse 8, also the swine is unclean for you because it has clothing hooves, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. And so we see here again, reminding them of these dietary laws. Uh, if the animal, land animal, the mammal, had a divided hoof, uh, not a single hoof like a horse, but a divided hoof, and it also chewed the cud, it had to do, have both. Divide it hoof and chew the cud, then it could be eaten, like for sheep, like, like, um, like oxen, like, uh, like a cow. You can have beef. So if it had one or the other, you could not eat it. For example, the camel. The camel chewed the cud, but it didn't have a divided hoof. I don't know why anybody would want to eat a camel anyway. I mean, <laughs> if, you probably have seen a camel, but if you go over to Israel and you look at those camels, you do not say, boy, that looks good to eat. <laughs> Um, even the hair is all scraggly and everything. And of course, it would be uh, John the Baptist that wore camel's skin. And, and uh, I imagine it would be very itchy and, and I don't know. But anyway, camel you're not to eat. Um, the swine, it did chew the cud, but it didn't have a divided hoof. And of course, pork was considered unkosher uh, in the Jewish um, and dietary law, still is today. So that's was the regulations that would come up. So you're not to eat these things. It was interesting. I don't know if this really has a whole lot to do, but since I'm teaching, I'll go ahead and mention it that with what we're talking about. But in Second Kings chapter 6, I was reading this morning um, that it was in that time, in the ten northern nations, that uh, it was Syria that came and seized uh, Samaria. And so no food was getting in, and the people were starving. And so at that time, they would break the dietary laws, but they weren't, you know, right with the Lord anyway. They were off in idol worship and stuff. And they were selling donkey heads for 70 shekels of silver. So you could see the desperate need that was going on. But anyway, here the Lord is saying that it has to be one to choose the cud and also um, one who um, had a divided hoof. And then in verse 9, these that you may eat are in the waters, and you may eat all that have fins and scales. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you should not eat it. It is unclean for you. And so when it came to the sea creatures, um, when it came to fish, um, if it had fins and scales, then it was kosher and it could be eaten. Now, one of the things that was interesting, I remember the first time that I went to Israel, we were at the baptism of the Jordan River, and I remember looking in the Jordan River and being one who's, you know, always interested in looking in rivers and streams, that I saw some catfish that were there, and, and they were swimming all around, and it's near the uh, town of Tiberias, which is uh, there by the Sea of Galilee, very beautiful place nestled in uh, the Galilean mountains, and by the Sea of Galilee, but it's a large Jewish community. And I remember thinking, why aren't there Jewish boys on the bank trying to catch those catfish? That's what I would have been doing when I was a kid. And a kid growing up in Kansas, you know, we were always fishing for catfish, and we like to eat catfish. But one of the things I realized, I remember when I was reading through this, is catfish don't have scales, do they? And if any of you have ever cleaned catfish, you peel the skin off of it. I remember my older brother Dan, you know, cleaning catfish that we caught, and, and, um, and we would fix it up and eat it, and it would be very, very good. Well, that's why they weren't there, because it's not kosher. And so catfish was something that they wouldn't eat. Also, clams, oyster, crabs, lobster um, is not considered to be kosher, so they, they don't eat those things. And so we go on to the birds, verse 11, all the birds you may eat. 
But these you shall not eat, the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, the kite after their kind, every raven after his kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after their kinds, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, and the carrion vulture, and the fisher owl, the stork, the heron after his kind, and the hopo, and the bat. Also every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you, for they shall not be eaten." And you may eat all clean birds. So any uh, certain birds to be eaten, um, it, if it was a scavenger, if it was a predator, then you did not eat them. So uh, the guidelines given for that. And then as we continue, verse 21, And you shall not eat anything that dies of itself. And you may give it to the alien who is within your gates, that he may eat it. Or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat's in its mother's milk. And so again, um, here was, uh, the, again, they're being reminded to preparation of the meat. Uh, they were not to eat raw meat. They were not to eat and drink the blood. Um, they were to, to uh, properly bleed out the animal uh, when they did uh, kill an animal to eat that animal. And so they were not to be like the Canaanites. Again, in their pagan rituals, would eat raw meat. They would drink blood. And the Lord says you're not to do that. You're to pour it out on the ground. And also what they would do is they would boil young goats in its mother's milk. So probably another pagan ritual that the Canaanites were involved in. So when you go to Israel today, if we take a trip together, it's wonderful, wonderful food that we eat. And, um, and they take very good care of you. In the morning, what you will eat is dairy products, but there won't be any meat. Obviously, there won't be any bacon or ham or sausage or anything like that. But it's dairy products and fruit and bread. It's very, very good and, um, and it's very wonderful. And then in the evenings, you will have your meat, but you won't have dairy products at all because they don't mix it. You can't get a cheeseburger there when you go to Israel. Um, there might be a few places where you can't, but they, they pretty much stay with the dietary laws today in Israel and uh, the Jews today pretty much observe it. So they'll have meat, but not dairy products in the evening. They'll have the dairy products in the morning, but not the meat. They don't mix it, and they don't like to mix it at all either. Also, it was interesting that we were in the old city of Jerusalem, and I remember that I went over and I got a um, roast beef sandwich at one of the places in old Jerusalem there and sat down at a table in front of the you know place where we got it, and there's a lot of little shops and stuff, and I remember a couple came over, Andrew and Laura, that went with us, and they came over with the pizza. And, and they were told to leave because I had the meat, they had the pizza with cheese on it. For some reason, they were very concerned that it might get mixed up or something. So they didn't even want us sitting together. So very, very much observing that, you know, uh, you, can't, you can't do that. And so we had to be very respectful of them and, and um, observe that. And so it's interesting to see all that being worked out. Verse 22, as we talk about tithing principles, you shall surely tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in a place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herbs and of your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So you shall tithe. You're going to tithe of the grain. You're going to tithe of uh, the animals uh, that are in your flocks and herds, and you are to give the firstborn. So here are these principles of tithing, and again, the word tithe means a tenth. Now, actually, the principle of tithing we saw even before the law was given, this law given to them, we saw it with who? Abraham, right? 
back in the book of Genesis, as he gave a tenth to Melchizedek. So we see that principle there. We see the tithe here that they were to give. And we see that the, the Lord here desires for them to give the, the first fruits of the land. We've seen that that was to be given, the first of their, their flocks, their animals that they were to give. They were to give a tithe, and he's going to give principles for them in giving. But it's interesting that if you have a living Bible, I believe what it says here in these verses is that, that you are to, um, to, 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 the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. And I like that. And I pray that we would remember that as we give, we are giving because the Lord is the priority of our lives. So in the New Testament, we are told that we are to give cheerfully, right? We're also told, as you look at it, not only cheerfully, but as the example Paul gives of those in Macedonia that were given freely and willingly. And that's what we are to do. Lord, you're the priority of my life, and so I want to give you my first fruits when it comes to my resources, finances, when it comes to my time, when it comes to serving you in any offering or sacrifice that we give to the Lord, that we do it freely, that we do it willingly, that we do it cheerfully. And, and I hope that's the way that we, you and I give. And I think that a tithe is a good principle for us to give if that's what the Lord would put on your heart or whatever it might be. But how you give is your heart is important. And so oftentimes what happens is that the Lord gets the leftovers. That the Christian will say, well, you know what, Lord? Um, I'll give you what's ever left over. I'll give you the leftover of my time or my service to you. And I pray that we would be ones that say, Lord, I want to give you the first fruits. And that's important to me. And he says that in this, that he says that you are to give to it and, and of your flocks. And, and it's going to be in a place where the Lord chooses and you give to where the Lord desires for you to give. In verse 24, if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place the Lord your God chooses to put his name too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen, sheep, wine, and similar drink. For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and he shall rejoice you in your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. So we're going to see that as the Lord is saying that you are to give, that you are to give and, and you're to give to the flocks and of the grain. He's very, very practical here because they're going to go into the land. They're going to be spread out all over the place. They're no longer going to just be the tabernacle there in the middle of the camp. Now the tabernacle is going to come across the Jordan River. It's going to be placed in Bethel for a short time, then in Shiloh. And then we're going to see that eventually Solomon will build the temple and that will be the prescribed place. Well, if you lived way up there in the Golan Heights today or up there where, you know, up by Dan or wherever it might be, that was a long place to come to bring grain and to bring an animal, and the animal might risk, you know, breaking its leg. And so we're going to see in the next chapter that the Passover being reviewed, that in Egypt when they did Passover, they would kill the animal where they lived and, and you know, put the blood on the doorposts and lintels of their homes well, they're going to be told that you bring that animal, that sheep, to this prescribed place, Jerusalem. 
And so that's what they would do. And that's why at Passover that there were tens of thousands of sheep that were coming into Jerusalem because that was the place of sacrifice. But it was difficult, especially if you're traveling after, you know, the the captivity of Judah, the Jews were spread out all over the place, all over the known world. And so to bring an animal from that area of Babylon or from, you know, the areas of Europe or whatever it might be or down in northern Africa would be very difficult and the animal would maybe perhaps get attacked by a wild animal and eaten or perhaps break its leg and the animals without spot or blemish is would to be given so we see all these regulations that are given so the lord here is being practical he's saying listen if it's too far sell the grain sell the animal then give them the money that you tithe and the lord will also expand on this he's going to say make sure that you don't give it the defects and the lame animals when you give make sure that you're giving of that animal that is without spot or blemish and in the book of Malachi, the Lord had to rebuke them after the Babylonian captivity because what were they doing? They were given of their sick animals. They were given of their diseased animals. They'd go out there and say, uh, I think I'll give her that sheep. He's going to die anyway probably in the next week. I'll sacrifice him. And it wasn't honoring the Lord. And that's what I mean in this principle of giving, that, Lord, I want to give you the very best, right? I want to give you the first fruits. But again, if we're not careful, we can have the mindset of, Lord, you get the leftovers, or Lord, uh, whatever is left over that I'll give to you. And, and what we need to do is, Lord, I want to have a heart to give to you freely and willingly, honorably, to give you the first, first fruits of my life and everything that you've given to me because you have blessed me. And here he says that. He says, the Lord has blessed you. And, and as you are blessed and you sell that money you can use it in your hand go and spend that money your heart desires but here's the thing honor me and given to me honor me in the tithe that you give to me and so a very important lesson that we see here and then in verse 28 the end of every third year you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of the year and store it up within your gates and the levite because he has no portion nor inheritance with you and a stranger and the fatherless as the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the lord your god may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do and so the levite again they weren't given an inheritance of land there was 48 cities that were to be given to the levites that they would live in the levites were dedicated to the service of the lord and so they had to be provided for. They didn't have grain fields. They didn't have herds of animal. Uh, but instead, the people would give to the Levites, provide for them. And in the third year, we see every third year that the produce stored up within the gates of the city. So the Levites, again, wouldn't have to travel all the way down to Jerusalem to get grain. But they could go by that nearby city and they could get that grain that had been stored up. So this was a way to provide for them as uh, they would tithe. And so there's a debate in verse 28, the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe. If that was the tithe in that third year, or if that was an additional tithe. And um, so there's different thoughts on that. And, um, and so you can look at that more closely if you so desire. In chapter 15, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. 
and this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor nor his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner you may require of it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in a land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. Verse 6, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. So here's something interesting. Every seven years, what is being told is that all the debts concerning the brethren of the children of Israel would be would be wiped out, would be released. It's called the Lord's release, as we see here in verse 2 of chapter 15. So you are no longer in debt. If you owed a brother a debt, then after seven years, it seems to be what we're told here that it would be released, or that is, it would be wiped out and, and voided. Now, you may remember in Leviticus chapter 25, and I'm sure that you do, that in that chapter talked about the year Jubilee every 50 years, you may be thinking, well, I thought that happened in the year Jubilee. So again, there's debate on what has taken place every seven years. The year Jubilee, we know that all debts were wiped out, and if you had land that you had lost, then the land would go back to the original owner because inheritance was very, very important in, in Israel. So after in the year Jubilee, in the 50th year, Debts canceled, the land would go back. So there's a debate here because it seems to be those who will link it to the Sabbath year that the land was rested. In Leviticus chapter 25, it also tells us that they were to rest the land every seventh year, not grow crops on the land. And the Lord said, as you obey me, I'm going to double your harvest in the sixth year. But in the seventh year, if there, you know, there was no crops, perhaps there was no means for them to pay that debt back. So there are some rabbinical scholars and and biblical scholars that think what's being talked about here is that in the seventh year that they didn't have to pay that debt. And then after that seven years, then they'd have to pick up and pay that debt back until the year Jubilee. But it doesn't really indicate this. It says that the debt is released here. And so there are those who say that's perhaps what's being talked about. And so um, a release of debt, and, and God here, I believe what he is doing is he's setting up a system. He's setting up a system to where people could get out of long-term poverty, and they could get out of debt, and, and a way for them to be able to give. The Lord's saying, listen, I'm going to bless you tremendously. I'm going to bless your socks off in the land. It's going to be a land that's going to produce, and I want you to treat your brethren right. He's going to go on and he's going to say, I want you to remember the poor. And I want you to remember um, in giving to others who need that. And so here was a way for, for people to get out of debt. It would be released in the seventh year. And so verse 6, I want to pass along a couple of things that, that of note. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. You know, one of the things that as we look at the scriptures, the scripture has a lot to say about, you know, how we manage our finances. 
And, and there are people here in the fellowship that are a lot more of an expert in managing finances than I am. But I do know that there are certain principles that we have in the scriptures that I think that we can take to heart. And that is to be wise stewards of how the Lord has given to us and provided for us. And the Bible gives warning about being in debt, being enslaved to, to debt and, um, and, and bondage to debt. And we need to be careful in those areas. And I understand it may be a little bit of a sensitive issue, especially in the economy that we're in, that perhaps some of you, that you've had to go into maybe some debt, or it's been difficult, it's been hard. But the Bible says that we are to be careful and not to be in bondage to debt. I, I'm sure that a lot of us, we have a debt that's perhaps in a mortgage or something like that. One of the things that we do do when young people get married is we try to make available to them, and, and, and it's available really to any of you, the Crown Ministries workbook that they can go through that Crown's ministry, look at the principles of, of financial management, of, of budgeting, and in that budget... It's also they teach you to live within your means, to also be able to give to the Lord, and, and to be able to also plan ahead for the future. And I think that's all wisdom that, that, that we all need to consider, um, that we manage money. See, here's the thing. Don't let the money manage you. And just, you know, dictating what you do or being enslaved to it or whatever. You manage the money in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And the scripture very much has to say about being enslaved to debt. It talks about nations being enslaved to debt. Good word for our leaders today, isn't it? (laughs) But one of the things that I want to encourage you in is, and, and I know that there's different situations that, that to to consider that and pray about that and look at those principles. And, and if you would like a Crown Ministries workbook, we'll get it for you. That you can go through that and really look at that. Because I know that sometimes, again, when I talk to some young people that are getting married or they come in and all of a sudden they got into debt and credit cards and thousands of dollars and they dug a hole and they all didn't realize it. And it was like, how do we get out of this? And it's troubling, and, and they spend so much time and energy trying to get out of that debt, and, and they do become enslaved to it. And then when it does come to where you want to give to the Lord, and, and you like to help out maybe the poor, or give to, you know, to, to a ministry that's on your heart, you feel so strapped. Do you see what I'm saying? So the Lord desires for us to be good stewards of what he's given to us and to, and to be wise in our financial situations, to give of, to the Lord and, and to manage you know, the resources and the finances that the Lord has given to us, be good stewards of it. And then also as a nation, it's interesting here, he says that you shall, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. I can't help but think about how many trillions of dollars we're in debt now. I, I can't keep up with it. The deficit just this year is $1.4 trillion. By the end of the year, it's going to be $1.8 trillion. I mean, that's staggering. And we are, are the wealthiest nation in the world. But yet, the, the debt that we are accumulating and building is, we hear numbers of what's it going to be in the next four or five years, seven years, I don't know, 20 billion, 17 billion, you hear different numbers? And, and so the debt, we're, 
becoming enslaved to other nations that are lending us money. And I think it's going to come back and bite us. And so again, I'm not an economist, I'm not an expert, but I do know what God's Word says. And so we need to pray for our nation, and we need to pray for our leaders. And I'll tell you what, it's very much a concern because it can't continue. Because pretty soon you're going to have to pay the piper. And so I re- it reminds me, it reminds me of, I remember a few years ago, it was after a Wednesday night service that I was going home, and the Lord really spoke to me. And um, I was listening to the story of, of Joseph on the radio. <clears throat> and Joseph, as he was standing before Pharaoh, as he was overseeing the most powerful and richest nation in the world. And he had that vision, that dream, and Joseph would interpret it and say, you know what, Pharaoh, here's the deal. Seven years you're going to have good grain. It's going to be great, prosperous, but in those seven years that are good, you need to store up for the years of famine that are ahead. And one of the things that the Lord spoke to me very clearly as I was in the car going home is he said, Jeff, you prepare for the days of famine. And that was a couple years ago. So diligently, we worked very hard in, in getting the building paid off. We had a little bit of a debt and a mortgage on, on the building, and it was manageable. But we wanted to get it paid off, and we did, through God's blessing and through his help. And in that, what we do as a principle, as a church, is we tithe 10% of everything that comes in. It's not used for buying chairs or equipment or sound equipment or salaries or any of those things. It is put away so we are able to help others. And we've been able to do that in this economy, that people have been struggling and people that are in need, that we can support ministries here in Greeley and then abroad as the Lord leads us and stuff. And I think that the Lord has blessed that and honored that as we've just very carefully tried to be ones that are good stewards the Lord has given to us, to be debt-free as a church, and we are debt-free. And to be ones that we are putting away and honoring the Lord, the first fruits every month that goes into that missions fund or benevolence fund, that we're able to help others and be able to, to support ministries. And that's what I think a good principle for our families as well. To as much as be a good steward of what God has given to you, be thankful, but to be wise in that. And to give the Lord the first fruits of your life. So hopefully I've articulated that enough to give you something to think about and pray through and these principles that we see. In verse 7, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden uh, your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against the poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not grieve when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works, and all to, to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, to your needy in your land." One of the things that we've seen very clearly that the Lord has a heart for the poor, the fatherless, uh, the widow, the, the, um, the, those who are less fortunate, the sick. 
And he provides means for them. And this isn't all the means. He said, be generous to the poor. I've blessed you. So you be generous. Don't get to this year of release, the seventh year, and look at your brother and say, forget you. But you are to give and be concerned. And the Lord will bless you in all your works and all in which you put in your hand. And so the Lord, I believe, will bless us as we do that. He says, for the poor will never cease from the land, verse 11. It's interesting, in verse 4, he said, except when there may be no poor among you. Is that a contradiction? No. I believe what the Lord is saying is that there's a way for people to get out of long-term debt and poverty, but there is going to be the poor always among you. And Jesus said that, didn't he? Remember when when Mary broke that alabaster box of expensive fragrant oil over the head of, of Jesus and anointed him for his burial? And it was Judas that said, that was a waste. That money could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus said, you always have the poor among you. So as we have the poor, and the church has always led the way throughout the last 2,000 years in giving to the poor and less needy, to the widows. And we need to be a part of that too here at Calvary Chapel. So he says, don't forget about them. And in verse 12, the law concerning bond servants, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine press, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. So if you found yourself being a slave, and what would happen is oftentimes if you found yourself in debt to somebody, you owed them money, you ended up being a slave to them. Literally. You became a slave, their servant, and, and you would work for them. And so here is a slave. Here he says that if it's a Hebrew slave, they're to be released in the seventh year is what's going to be told. And when they are released in the seventh year, they want to go, then you are to give to them. Give them some grain. Give them um, some of your um, flock um, that they can go out with something, not go out empty-handed. But there is also another thing to this. They can either be released from that slavery or in verse 16. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you in your house. Since he prospers with you, then you shall take an owl and thrust it through his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you. For he has been worth a double hired servant and serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So if that servant after six years says, listen, I like working for my master. I love my master. It's a good situation. I want to remain here. He would be interviewed by the leaders of the community, the judges, the elders. And if they found that he wasn't being intimidated or threatened to stay, that freely he was making the choice that I want to stay with my master because he's good to me and I want to serve him all the days of my life, then they would pierce his ear and then he would be marked and then he would be known as a bondservant. Now that rings a bell with you, doesn't it? Paul the Apostle, bondservant of Jesus Christ. And in that, Paul is borrowing this from this, and he's saying that I am out of my own free will because I love my master, because it's a lifetime commitment. I want to serve Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I serve him because he is so good, and I love my master, and I'm dedicated to him. 
So my prayer for all of us is that we would be bondservants of Jesus Christ, just freely, willingly, again, as we give to the Lord, serving Him, saying, Lord, I am your servant. Whatever it is that you want me to do, I serve you the rest of my days. And as we finish tonight, verse 19, all the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, uh, no share the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. But if there is a defect in it, if it's lame or blind, has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You may eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat of it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it on the ground like water. So the law concerning the firstborn, you shall eat of it. It shall not work but it's going to be sacrifice. You're going to give it as a worship, then the other animals are going to be used for work. A principle in this is make sure that you worship before you work, okay? And what you have. Make sure that you're going to the Lord. This is my first fruits. This is my firstborn. This is my whatever first resources, first fruits, first of the day. I'm going to worship you, Lord. And then I'll go to work. Okay? That's why devotions are so important. Lord, you get the first fruits of my time, of my giving, of my heart. I'm going to give it as an offering and sacrifice to you and worship and coming to you and learning of you, starting my day with you, and then I'll go to work. The animal, that's going to be used as an offering. Don't use it for work. Make sure that you start your day with an act of worship, giving to the Lord, and then go about your day asking the Lord to guide you and direct you in everything that you do. And so, Father, we thank you for these, these principles and truths that we have given to us. And, Lord, I do pray for all of us that are here tonight that we would take them to heart. And, and Lord, that we don't want to be enslaved to the things of the world. We don't want to be enslaved to, to anything that would keep us from, Lord, just full-out serving you and just being devoted to you and, Lord, I do pray for those. It's been a hard, hard year economically. And I pray for those who have need. And I just lift them up to you tonight, and I pray that you would bless them and be with them and provide for them, Lord. That all of us, that we would search you, Lord, and how we can honor you with what you've given to us and blessed us with. That, Lord, that we would give you the first fruits of our lives in our day, when it comes to finances, when it comes to resources, when it comes to our service to you, that, Lord, that we would have that heart saying, I love you, Master. You're good to me. I'm your bondservant. Whatever you want to do with my life, Lord. And, Father, I do pray that as we serve you, that, Lord, that we would be generous, we would be a light, Lord, that you would bless those and help those tonight who need to be strengthened, who need wisdom. Lord, I pray as we just worship for a few minutes here and a couple songs that we would just continue to look to you, just again an offering. And Lord, there's anything that we need to confess to you that we would. Lord, anything that you've touched us with tonight,